morning. Welcome to another episode of the End Time Blog Podcast. I'm Elizabeth Prada. Today I'm talking about the alabaster vial incidents at the anointing of Jesus and my, quote, wasted time. Now I usually write about the word or encouragement or prophecy But today I'm going to give a peek into and share an anecdote about my Bible study. As I was reading Mark 14, and I got to the part where Judas went out to betray Jesus in Mark 14.10, I began wondering, why now? What was the precipitating event that finalized Judas's apostasy and treachery? What works for me is asking questions of the text. Why this? Why now? What is that about? How does that work? Where are they? What is that plant or tree or animal like? I suspected the catalyzing moment for Judas was the alabaster vial incident, AKA the anointing of Jesus recorded just prior to Judas's departure. But the more I read the parallel accounts, the more confused I got. I could not sort them out, and I didn't know why. Here's a summary from John 12, um, recounting of the anointing of Jesus. In this event, it's six days before the Passover. The group is in Bethany, where they are at a house where the dinner is in honor of Jesus. Lazarus, who was raised from the dead, is present, and Martha is serving, and Mary is there too. Mary took a pound, in today's measurement, 12 ounces, of very expensive perfume of nard and anointed Jesus' feet and wiped them with her hair. The pungent perfume filled the house with its fragrance. Judas complained that what she did was extravagantly wasteful. The perfume could have been sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor. Jesus rebuked Judas, telling him to leave Mary alone. He said that Mary was preparing for his burial. John 12.8 says that Jesus said, For you always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. It is in the John account that we read that Judas didn't care about the poor, but stole from the disciples' purse. In the John account, we read that Judas intended to betray Jesus. In Mark 14 and Matthew 26, we read of an almost exactly the same account with a few details different. Here, it's two days before Passover. In the Matthew account, Jesus announced that he was to be handed over to crucifixion. So the end is near. Jesus is in Bethany, as recounted in John's, and they were at the house of Simon the leper. An unnamed woman comes to Jesus holding an expensive flask or vial or box or jar, depending on the translation, made of alabaster containing an amount of extremely expensive perfume 
or ointment or nard, depending on the translation. She broke open the jar and poured the liquid over Jesus' head. The disciples became indignant and scolded her. They were outraged at the, quote, waste and said the perfume could have been sold and the money given to the poor. In both Mark and Matthew's account, Jesus said the same as what was recorded in John 12. Jesus said in Mark and Matthew's account, the poor will always be with you, but you will not always have me. And like in John, he ordered them to stop harassing the woman that she had done a good deed. In fact, she had prepared for Jesus's burial. Truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is preached in the entire world, what this woman has done will also be told in memory of her. Mark 14, 9. And here it is 2,000 years later, and we're still talking about it and the deed that she did. Well, in order to sort out the details of the two incidents recorded in three of the Gospels, I made a chart of the entire passage from the three Gospels side by side. The one in Luke, um, there is one in Luke, and it seems similar, but the timing was in the middle of Jesus' ministry, so a year and a half prior. And there was a parable attached to it, which is a teaching moment, and the point was forgiveness, not preparation for Jesus' burial. So I X'd that one out. I used highlighters in different colors to note the details, similarities, and differences between the John, Mark, and Matthew incidents. I needed to see it all at once on one page instead of flipping back and forth because I couldn't figure it out otherwise. Then I made a chart comparing the main similarities and differences between um, the two. Mark and Matthew were the same, and then John. I needed to get this right. First, because I was going to publish it, and I did not want to dishonor Jesus by teaching the wrong thing. As Paul would say, what a ghastly thought. Secondly, and more important, the scene moved me. It's a pivotal moment in Jesus' life, and I wanted to bask in it but correctly. Were there two different incidents? It seemed there was. That was my conclusion after about three hours of study in the scriptures. But my brain was fried and I got up and made lunch and did other things. The next day I started writing the blog about it. Writing helps me process information. However, the more I wrote, the more my mind became troubled. I started asking questions again, like, if these two incidents were four days apart, why did the disciples say the exact same thing? By this point, they at least knew to hold their peace and wait for developments like they did at the woman at the well, John 4:27. If they erupted in similar fashion again just a few days later, why didn't Jesus rebuke them like he did in Matthew 8.26 to the disciples or to Peter in Matthew 14.31 or in general in Mark 9.19?
when he kept saying, O ye of little faith. One would think that just four days later, the men would have learned something from the first incident. It did not make sense that they had the same exact reaction and everyone said the same exact things with Jesus replying in the same exact way. That seemed harder to reconcile than the smaller seeming inconsistencies, like if they were the same incident, like feet versus head anointed, or two days before Passover, or six days. By now I'd studied diligently the scriptures alone for two days. So I turned to the commentaries. I like the old timey guys like Gill, Barnes, or Jameson Fawcett Brown. I looked them up. They all said it was the same incident, all of them. I have Lagos Bible software, so I looked up the commentaries from the medium old guys, like from mid-century, last century, and they all said it was the same, all of them. I finally looked up someone alive, John MacArthur, and he said the same. The John 12, Mark 14, and Matthew incidents of the anointing of Jesus were all the same incident. The smaller details can be reconciled. The thinking is, as far as the timing goes, is that as Matthew and Mark record the Spirit-inspired words, the scene four days prior is a flashback. They pause their timing and bring up what happened a few days prior as they prepare to write of the last Passover and the unveiling of the betrayer. I also reread carefully and saw that I had assumed from the description in John 12 that they were at Lazarus's house. But the verse does not say that explicitly. In the other two gospels, they said they were at Simon the leper's house. They all were in Bethany. And in John 12, Lazarus was reclining at table and Martha was serving. But it just says there was a dinner made in Jesus' honor. The verse does not say they were specifically at the house of Lazarus. So that's reconciled. As far as the head feet thing, Mary easily could have poured out her perfume at his head and also his feet, or she poured it on his head and it flowed to his feet. It's like this two seemingly inconsistent details about the Gadarene demoniac in Matthew 8. It says there were two demoniacs. In Mark 5, he records one demoniac. Anyway, it was easier for me to let the smaller details go and reconcile the bigger question of the two different recountings, not to be almost an exact repeat, but instead be the same incident, one of them being a flashback because it made no sense that they all would have done and said the exact thing four days later. This Christianity Today article gives several reasons for seeming inconsistencies in the Bible. <clears throat> Excuse me. 
I say seeming because I fully trust that what is in Holy Scripture is perfect, true, and trustworthy. There are no inconsistencies. So here is Christianity today um, with my comment after each bullet point. They said, a summary may differ from a detailed account. Okay, like the details in the centurion salvation or the Gadarene demoniac I'd mentioned. Christianity Today said, details may differ because of the differing perspectives from which the narratives are made. For example, my comment is like, was the Sermon on the Mount on top of the Mount or on a plateau? Different perspectives are given of the same location. Christianity Today noted, an account relating only one part of an event may differ significantly from another account relating another part of that event. Think of Judas's death. Did he die by hanging or by falling and busting open? Christianity Today said, an account relating actual chronological sequence may differ from an account that unfolds according to a different organizing principle, you know, like topical. I think that is the case with the seeming variances in the John 12 versus Mark 14 and Matthew 26 writings. Finally, Christianity Today said, quote, remember, the biblical authors wrote their narratives in accordance with their own purposes. They were free to organize them chronologically, logically, topically, and so forth. They were free to summarize them or provide many details or few details, emphasize some points over others, and so on. All of these conventions are in keeping with the inspiration and complete truthfulness of scripture. End quote Christianity Today. Well, I came to a settled conclusion that the three Gospels record the same anointing incident. Now, initially, I was irritated that I'd, quote, wasted five and a half hours over two days going back and forth over this. But then I laughed. Silly me. The lesson is... My time is not my time. It's a gift from Jesus and should be lavishly devoted to him in all the ways. Time spent in the word is never a, quote, waste. It is as precious as the expensive perfume Mary poured out in love and devotion to her Messiah. I should not be irritated, but joyous. And I got to spend time in the gospel and with Jesus as I sought to unearth the truth. Well, tomorrow I'll write about and podcast about the actual anointing of Jesus. But for today, this is a peek into my thought process as I study and blog along. Ultimately, I'm grateful for the Lord giving me a life where I have time to study 
where the spirit illuminates the scriptures to me and where I can, as a single person, devote time to him. I keep thinking of why we are here. The Westminster Shorter Catechism says in number one, what is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So my time is not my own, but must be used to glorify Jesus. To that end, I ask myself, do I hoard the time, keeping the precious perfume in the bottle? Or do I break it open and gush out my time in lavish, lavish attention and love to the Lord? 1 Corinthians 7, 32-34 says, One who is unmarried and concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord, but one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, like how he may please his wife, and his interests are divided. The woman who is unmarried and the virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy, both in body and spirit. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, like how she may please her husband. I'm not even close to the example of the widow Anna serving in the temple night and day, but she is my role model as an older single woman. I pray that in 2022, the Lord allows me to continue this ministry. It is precious to me because I get to spend time with him. Well, this has been another episode of the End Time Blog Podcast. Thank you for listening. I hope you have a great day.